I'm Ian Dallimore, and this is Digital and Dirt. Oh, let's talk about that. You've had an amazing career. Who would have known? I just love billboards. All right, welcome back, guys. My next guest. This one's going to be a lot of fun. I know this guest very well. It's actually the only person from Winnipeg, Canada, that I've ever met in my life. And I just learned that Winnie the Pooh, that's their claim to fame amongst this guest as well. Her and I have actually had many adventures in the out-of-home space. She can be found speaking globally about digital, out-of-home, and programmatic specifically. And she may be the greatest sweets connoisseur that I've ever met. My next guest, the global head of digital out-of-home at Yahoo, Stephanie Gutnick. Welcome, Stephanie. Uh, thanks so much, Ian. What an intro. Yeah. Should we dive right in and just talk about a few of our adventures? Yeah. Where do you want to start? Oof. Um, I'll have to say, I'm sweating even talking about this one, but we were both at CES, I believe, and you were a client at the time. And I was like, perfect, I'm going to take this client. She seems like a lot of fun. We'll take her to a Cirque du Soleil show. I'm a big Cirque guy. And those of you who have been to Cirque du Soleil shows, they're phenomenal, except for the one that I picked called Zumanity, which evidently is a very sensual show. And Stephanie, I'll let you finish off that story because... Well... So here's the thing is, first of all, I admire the fact that we take advantage of wherever we are taking cultural elements, because the more you know, the more you can bring to your job, right? So good for us in that regard. And Cirque du Soleil is, you know, based in Montreal. So we had to take in a show we haven't seen in your defense. But us getting invited to be on stage for the final act was interesting. And you being the only one who you know, volunteered to actually take advantage. I enjoyed it immensely. And I know that you were so embarrassed. So thanks for taking one. Of course. I'm just glad that they don't allow photography there. Yeah. All right. So you've had an amazing career and you're super young. I'd love for us to kind of touch on that. So I'll kind of go through some of your career over the last, I feel like you've probably have been doing this maybe since you were like 15, (laughs) but you started out at the company in Canada where you handled CTV Tell our listeners a little bit about that. So, okay. I went to McGill, first of all, and I did a Bachelor of Arts for undergrad. And I think that's important to let people know because I ended up in business. It's one of those things where it just Mm -hmm. is a signal that you can do really whatever it is that you want. You embrace the pivot. But from McGill, I worked at News Corp, actually, News America Marketing in ad sales. And I did that for two years. And... The sales training programs that you can be part of at companies like News Corp provide such an amazing foundation as an entry point into business because everything revolves around sales at the end of the day. So that was wonderful. And I dealt with creative and media agencies as part of my role. And that really brought up my interest in marketing. So from there, I went and became a marketing copywriter at this company called Broadsign based in downtown Montreal, but global reach. And the tech learning curve was real. (laughs) And as a copywriter, like my first week on the job, we were launching a media player, Android based, and I had to write a script for a video promoting it. So the chief technology officer now was rambling off the product features and all of that. And I put together a script and I was feeling pretty proud of myself and he's reading it and he starts laughing uh, because I had written 1080p screen resolution, which is 
1080, the numbers, and P, as 10, the letters, A-D-P. And I think it's important to talk about that because just because I didn't see myself as technical at the time, it's actually one of my favorite elements of the job now is just learning how things work and being able to understand where we're going tech-wise and then sharing that with everybody else in a way that is how I make sense of it. So it's simple enough that they can too. So that's really the favorite part about the role now. I know you do that really well too. Well, and that's a good point. And I know we're, we're going through your career, but that's a good topic to talk about is oftentimes you and I sit on a lot of committees and we get caught up in our little bubble, even within the committees ourselves. And we assume everybody else in even in our industry, understand what we're talking about. And, you know, we have these acronyms, which by the way, Elon Musk wrote a newsletter once to his company and said like, Hey, if you use an unnecessary acronym, I will literally fire you. And it's, it's a great point because to your point here, if it takes more time for you to educate someone about an acronym to what the acronym means, as opposed to just saying the word, then you, you haven't done your job. So I do think that that's a great point because you and I focus on that in the industry is education. That's the way that technology takes off. 100%. Like there's nothing to be proud of if you and I are the only people who understand what RTV means, for example, right? It's real time. It's something to be proud of if everybody is understanding that and applying it in their strategy. Yeah, for sure. So you moved on from VP of Business Development at Broadsign and Broadsign is a supply side partner of Lamar as well as a player partner of Lamar's airport. And you moved over to our good friends at Outfront. So maybe talk a little bit about that role. Definitely. And Broadsign was just so formulative for, for me. I was there for six and a half years and I wound up running marketing, starting their business development department, running that, and also breaking ground on programmatic, doing so globally, opening an office in New York. That's what took me from Montreal to New York to live. And yeah, then I, then I took on the new role uh, VP of Digital Strategy and Programmatic Sales at Outfront. So it was back to the publisher side for me with one of the top billboard owners in U.S. and Canada. Wonderful experience once again. Was there for two years. And then Yahoo approached with this global head of Digital at Home role. And when that happened, I told them, I said, this has been something I've been thinking about for the future of our industry for years. Because there are point solutions, such as Broadsign, that have done a phenomenal job really taking us to where we are today and will continue to propel our industry forward. However, when we look at the omnichannel side, and omnichannel is exposing buyers to lots of different types of media, that's where out-of-home can be part of the conversation. And that's where we can start helping new buyers of our channel get used to it, put it into their media mixes and see the results. So it's been six months now and I've just really been enjoying it. One of the things that I was so proud of you about is at age 28, you won the Rising Star Award at formerly called FEPE, now the World Out of Home Organization. And that was a great moment. I remember shooting you a text over saying like how proud I was. The fact that you did it so young, it showed the passion that you had and how much thought you had into the industry itself. 
and not just now, but exactly what the title says, Rising Star and the future growth of, of the industry. What has made you successful and what advice would you give to people starting out in the industry? Well, first of all, thank you. I know I'm in the presence of a fellow rising star, different association, but it's meant a lot to me to have a cheerleader like you. And I hope that I provide the same level of support, especially as you know we're growing our careers. It's necessary to surround ourselves with people who can enable continued growth. So thanks. It was their inaugural award as well in Sorrento, Italy. So it was just a really nice moment. And one that comes with responsibility because people are placing a bit of a bet on you that you're going to continue to help advance the space uh, in a good way. And I, uh, I look at it really as hard work is the backbone to everything. And when you're passionate about what you're doing, I know it's cliche, but it's true, like, who would have known? I just love billboards, but it makes it so much easier to really dedicate not only your time, but, you know, when I'm out for a walk, that's when I get an idea in my head about something really different that we could try and bring it to the industry. And there are people, you know, luckily at my company and within the associations that we collaborate in who want to try something new. So hard work and I also really think that hard work builds up that momentum for those opportune moments of luck or serendipity that really propel your career to the next level. And without that hard work, the energy just isn't there. So it sets you up for for welcoming in those critical moments, right? So work ethic is one. And then getting involved, raising your hand. I'm just by nature. I'm like, what else can I do here? And Luckily, we have some really great associations in the industry. And to what you said earlier, I just raised my hand. How can I help? And it starts with whatever tasks are available. And you start moving forward with leading committees. Like I now followed you as the co-chair of the Innovations Committee with the OAAA. I'm on the Digital Science Federation Board of Directors, the Digital Signage Experience Advisory Board you know, all can, the Canadian Association of New York's board of directors. And I say these things because it wasn't just magically handed to me that I sit on board. It's you have to give that time and understand what the objectives are to be able to really contribute and volunteer and get to know the people that we're collaborating with. Yeah. And if I could jump in, because <laughs> I think so many people, and I sound like an old person here at 42, but so many people expect things to just be handed to them after six months or after a year. But I think your your point, it's surround yourself with good people. Literally say like, what can I do? But don't get upset if it's not the best thing. Like, hey, we need you to fill out this Excel spreadsheet. My mentor and my former boss, John Miller, who I know I talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, he talks about his son-in-law actually flies fighter jets. And he actually had the opportunity to go onto a uh, aircraft carrier. You know, he talks about it while he was on the aircraft carrier and they were giving them the tour. He met the guy and his sole job is to polish the lights at the front of the aircraft carrier and change out the lights when they're dead. And that would be like a job where it's like, how significant is my job? And obviously John is phenomenal at sales and motivating people. And he said, if he doesn't do his job, then the guy landing the, the fighter jets could never land onto the aircraft carrier. So it starts at the bottom. It takes a lot of hard work and it takes dedication. And I think hard work 
and work ethic is a word that sometimes is thrown around in today's world. But I think that's where you gain trust. And it's like, well, she was willing to do this project. Let's give her a little bit something else. The other big thing is surround yourself with great people. And I know you have some great mentors that are in your life still today. So maybe you don't have to give shout outs, but maybe talk about some people that have helped you and and the importance of mentors. Oh, let's talk about that because mentors are crucial to career development. And look, like on the one hand, I look up to my parents more than anything in life and they provide me great advice with um, regards to whatever I might be facing. However, within a specific industry and career path, there's going to be different types of knowledge that your parents can't quite give you. And the question is, how do you then find these mentors? Where do they come to you? Do you just reach out to somebody and say, hey, I like what you're doing. (laughs) Can you be my mentor? Or do you develop, and to your point earlier, take the time to foster these really meaningful relationships where people who are more advanced in what they're doing see like, oh, she had to fill out an Excel spreadsheet, but she gave it everything she got. There is no error in that spreadsheet, right? So there is a list, yeah. If I think about it, you know, Barry Fry has just been a tremendous supporter, Adrian Cotterell of Daily Do, Clive Hunter at Outfront, Nancy Fletcher, of course, and Stephen Friedis, Mark Fliss. And I, I, I say these people because they all place a bet on me from a, a pretty young age and in a way went out of their way to give me a mouthpiece to the industry, to moderate panels, participate in panels when I was still very young. And from there, you know, I now organize full-on conferences for Ad Tech Out of Home with, with Daily Do. And I hope that they are just as proud of the, the very quick progression from, okay, giving somebody a mouthpiece and demonstrating really, like when we talk about age, there can sometimes be a question of, oh, does this person have enough experience to take on a role of this title and these requirements and this responsibility? And I think, you know, it's nice to look at what goes on in the tech world because my comment is always, you know, Evan Spiegel, the founder of Snap, is a month younger than So if he can handle it, I'm not comparing myself to him, but I think it's important for everybody in the space to see younger people on panels such as us, that that kind of goes into the DEI importance and what we're talking about these days. And so I'm very thankful to these mentors for allowing me to step up and to share my opinions because we just naturally, if you're coming, if you're new to a space, you're going to see things and opportunities that people who have been living and breathing it just might not. And I think to kind of wrap up that conversation about what to do and how to ask it, I think also it's respecting those that have come before you and building upon that. Because I think oftentimes I've seen so many tech companies come into this space and they've come in with this attitude that you guys in the at-home space, you have no idea what you're doing. And they literally fall on their face pretty quickly. And I think that's the biggest thing is respect what is built and understand why it's been successful for over a hundred plus years and learn from those people and spend the time and appreciate it and offer in tweaks and how to evolve the medium. That's key to the success of younger people in this space. So let's transition over to your new role 
I'm going to get you to talk a little bit more about Yahoo, formerly Verizon Media. So maybe give our listeners who don't know who Yahoo is from the old school online days to what it is that you do on the day-to-day basis within the company. Let's talk about it. So one thing in Yahoo is actually the number two most trafficked property next to Google in the United States. So millions of people come to Yahoo properties on a daily basis. Some of my personal favorites are Yahoo Finance and TechCrunch. And speaking of my age cohort, 90% of American millennials can be reached on their devices by Yahoo. So everything that we do is focused on the consumer experience. And from a tech perspective, that's where we offer an omni-channel unified stack. So what's a unified stack? We have a DSP, that's an acronym, a demand-side platform. So buyers can access media space. And then we have an SSP, a supply-side platform for publishers like Lamar to onboard their inventory and make it available to these buyers programmatically. And identity is at our core. So we have a deterministic connect ID solution and a probabilistic next-gen solution. And these enable privacy-compliant audience options in the cookie-less world. And if we're coupling that with transparency and our exclusive premium inventory that delivers on context, Yahoo truly delivers on performance. And I've just had the great pleasure of working within that entire sphere to figure out Dijon's home space. And Yahoo started investing in Dijon's home in 2019 with the DSP. And from there, the SSP was built. And really, my job now very much focuses on looking at our sales team. We have 1,200 salespeople in the North America regional world and offering them advice and guidance and education as to how Digital Home can be incorporated in their conversations with clients. So it goes back to education. This is the opportunity that I mentioned a little bit earlier. How do we make buyers aware of the potential that Digital Home can bring when they include it in a campaign in terms of meeting their objectives. And I do say Digital Home plays really nicely with other channels. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to yeah. see that aha moment arise with the sales team, with advertisers when it comes to, oh my gosh, like this isn't as difficult as I thought it was. We can just add Digital Home to our campaign. So it's, it's been really rewarding. Yeah. And I think that's definitely one of the exciting sides from a publisher at Lamar connecting in with Yahoo is exactly what you're talking about. You know, Yahoo has the the online products, they have the mobile products, they have TV products, and so many more offering to, to target specific segmentations and audiences. So the term, which some listeners may know, called omni-channel. And, you know, the way that we describe it is, is how does the consumer move throughout their day? And how do you target that consumer using data, smart data, to follow that consumer on different screen types, Right. And that's what you guys do so beautifully. And so there was recently an article in Digiday and the topic was about adult table. So maybe kind of touch on that, that article, because I think it falls right in line with, with where we're going with this. Thank you for bringing it up because I wrote it. So I'm glad that it captured your attention. I felt very strongly about advocating for digital home in a way that expressed that we, our industry, deserve a seat at this adult table of mature media now. It's ironic in a way because out of home is 
one of the longest standing forms of advertising. But digital out of home is still considered an emerging channel. With that comes a lot of opportunity, but it also can be seen as a risk for advertisers to invest in because it doesn't have the track record of proven performance. That is a lot of what I research in uh, my doctoral thesis, but it has been very interesting to see in real life and the practical world as well by just taking a look at how advertisers react to taking money away from media that they're used to and reallocating it to be it CTV, be it digital at home. But it's essential because we are witnessing right now the total fragmentation of ways that consumers can engage with media and it's proliferating very quickly. Different types of social media channels, out of home kind of remains that stoic element of it's here, it's in the real world and you're going to pass it, especially if you live in an urban area. So that's just been really fascinating to watch. And I do believe we're at the point where we've listened to the needs of advertisers who are not yet investing We have found ways to measure the performance and we're delivering on it as an industry. So it's now time for us to be considered in that way. Yeah. So like we've talked about, education is key internally. And I think oftentimes on the publisher side, you just assume like, oh, well, I have inventory. Let me just plug it in. And it's so different. And maybe give our listeners a little bit of conversation about online and CTV. I mean, that world of online and mobile specifically, it's almost infinity amount of space where our world is very limited and it is drastically different than anything else that the advertiser buys. Maybe maybe give our listeners just like a high level of, of what inventory looks like and, and how you tell that story. I tell people, I go, this is not your mother's billboard. <laughs> give me a few minutes and I'll change your mind and whatever you're preconceptions were about out of home. And it's nice to see, I would say five, six years ago, when we would be at CES or Cam Lions, I'd be at dinner and I'd sit next to somebody and they, oh, what do you do? I work in programmatic digital out of home. And you could see the look on their face like, oh my gosh, (laughs) how did I get seated next to this person? Why doesn't she work in mobile? That's so much more sexy. And it's changed because we're now at a place and I was noticing this really 2019, where I would sit down at a table. What do you do? I work in programmatic digital at home. And somebody's face lights up. Tell me more. And, you know, I say it's a combination of the really hard work that we've done uh, between us and the industry in terms of getting out there and educating, but also what's going on in the rest of the media landscape and the privacy world has really been benefiting how out of home is viewed because no longer do we have to have that conversation where we go, hey, we don't have cookies in out of home, so there's no click-through rate here. And the advertiser says, well, if that's not available, I cannot you know, accommodate performance marketing goals with your medium. Now, we are preparing ourselves for this truly cookie-less world. And marketers are understanding that perhaps click-through rate isn't the best metric to gauge success. So the pendulum is swinging back in favor of the whole, you know, half of the advertising dollars I spend are effective. I just don't know which half quote by, by Wanamaker or (laughs) Yahoo in particular is able to help better understand, you know, more than half of how the advertising dollars are being spent. But I say that because out of home really does represent a large creative and emotional element too. 
that people resonate with out-of-home ads. If you think of the Got Milk campaign, for example, a big chunk of that was out-of-home. So there's just this really important and inherent element of of out-of-home fitting into a media mix that perhaps people understand in their gut that they haven't figured out how to implement it. And that's where these conversations have to go now. It's one thing to educate and say, hey, you know, out-of-home is available. We've made it easy for you to buy. That's step one, because it removes the friction of having to do extra work for something that you have never bought before and so are not as inclined to experiment with. And it goes that step beyond to say, hey, when you invest your money, these are the different ways now that we can show how it works for you, where you can optimize next time, and so on. And I have to give a shout out to Lamar on that front too, because from a tech perspective, from the buy side perspective, yes, we have to be educating how habits should be changing to accommodate the job home. But perhaps more importantly, on the publisher perspective, there are things that have to change to accommodate the buying habits of digital buyers who are used to other things. Maybe that's something throwing it back at you, Ian, that you could talk about what Lamar has done. Yeah. And I I love that we just gloss over the fact that it's like, oh, we make it easier to buy or we make the ability to buy omni-channel. A lot of our friends in the space, Hivestack, Broadsign, Vistar, Place Exchange have all spent tremendous amount of time and effort and money and blood, sweat, tears to allow us to connect to the yahoos of the world to make these omni-channels. So without glazing over the fact of that, for us, I think it it's definitely the education side, but to go a little bit deeper, one of the things that we've done well is it's easy to optimize when it's a one-to-one. It's a lot different when you're optimizing towards one to a segmented. And when you start to take buyers that are used to buying a one-to-one experience, they're going to buy out of home that way as well. And I know early on for us, when we started eight, eight and a half years ago with programmatic, that's what would happen. We would get buys that were like maybe 800 impressions. And you're just like, why are they buying this way? So one of the things that we've done is we went in, we've added measurement, we've added the importance of measurement in the omni-channel perspective, but also it's creative and not to knock on, you could say Google, Yahoo, Facebook, anybody's online, you know, nobody gets excited about clicking on a banner ad. They're not winning OBs for banner ads. Now, obviously B-roll, YouTube ads, Yahoo video ads, that's the premium product. And I think where we're doing a good job at Lamar and the industry as a whole is positioning our product to be like, hey, we are similar to that video ad or similar to that iconic takeover on on a page or on a mobile device. So I think the creative aspect is where we win. And if we make it easy to buy across all media types, and now you can just buy out of home with it, with it but now you have this 20 by 60 digital or you have a, a giant digital in Times Square or an iconic location in Kansas City, you're going to see that, to your point earlier, that face that it's like, tell me more about digital programmatic out of home. And so that's what we're doing on our end. And I hope we're doing a a good job of it because we believe in this space and we believe in the DSPs. Well, you know that you're doing a good job. I applaud you for your effort and the great traction that you've had in embracing programmatic. It's been very helpful to the industry. And certainly the points that you bring up are really important. Again, it goes back to consumers just have so many ways to engage with content now. And 
it's their choice, right? Like they get to pick and choose. So that's why the advertiser has to be so thoughtful about the different ways in which they are reaching these consumers. Biased, <laughs> obviously digital home should be part of that. But then there's the engagement element. How do consumers then follow up on their interest in the ad that they've seen? Usually they'll go to their desktop or their mobile phone and that's when it's an opportune time to reach them with another ad from that advertiser. And a fun little fact that I came upon in my research is that uh, people actually trust brands who advertise across multiple formats more than just a singular format. In our minds, we think, oh, this company has enough money to be advertising digital home and CTV and, and print, say, and we just think, oh, because they have that clout, we then must trust them. So that's an interesting element of synergy there. Yeah, and I, I've seen similar research, too, that actually talks about transactions that occur for people that just advertise on Snapchat or uh, an Instagram compared to where they have this omni-channel approach, the the purchase is significantly higher when it is that omni-channel compared to just one. Because if you think about it, we are getting too finite on who buys a Tide pod. You can't target the last person that clicked on an ad that visited this website and went to a Walmart six times in the last month and say, those are the only people that purchase Tide pods. Therefore, I'm only going to buy this advertising medium, which is X, you're missing a broad stroke. And especially with the advancements of technology on, I'm buying groceries on my mobile device before I got to work today. And I don't fit that mold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. There was a time in our space, well, collectively across the media space, uh, a couple of years ago where advertisers were so focused on wasted spend and wastage. And that, that was, Anybody who didn't fit their specific target profile was considered a wasted impression. And I'm happy that we're moving towards a different narrative now because to your exact point, you might not have been the target audience for time pods, but here you are buying them. And my mom might not be the target audience for a specific brand, but if she sees something and then mentions it to me, because it's my mom, you can bet I'm going to be looking it up, right? So. Yeah. And it's interesting how programmatic has allowed digital out of home to pivot from the different sides of the funnel. So maybe touch on that a tad. Okay. That is such a good question because there is that typical consumer decision process funnel where we go from brand awareness to consideration to purchase. And it's no longer a funnel in the, the visual sense anymore because again we have so many different touch points with media these days but those those elements still exist even if they're in a different order and what's happened as a result of this is digital out of home for example used to be thought of as an awareness play this is great for generating reach and scale and impressions and that's all it's used for and if i need to drive lower funnel activities then i'm just not going to be investing in out of home but thanks to measurements, we really have been able to prove out that out home does a great job delivering on brand consideration sites or pushing that sale. Especially now because 
Kaya's seeing that you have a deal ID and a partnership, Lamar and Grocery TV. What a wonderful way to reach people on billboards on their way to a grocery store. And then at the checkout, they're seeing the same ad through Grocery TV at point of purchase, right? So it, it kind of reaffirms the decision that they've made if they've been influenced by that advertising campaign. Yeah. And that, that's a great point because that's kind of my next question is as a publisher and those who are listening that are publisher, specifically digital out of home, what could we do better? Um, one of the reasons why we did the grocery TV and Lamar deal, it, it really wasn't that difficult to put together. It was just kind of like, all right, we want to target consumers that visit the grocery stores. Here's the data behind it. And Nolan and the team at grocery TV and I got together and my team, we just said, all right, there's great synergy here. So we built out the deal ID. So we made it easier to buy. But what other advice would you give publishers that are listening on how they can better position themselves in the omni-channel buying process at Yahoo? So you know how we were talking about earlier, how it's so important to listen to why things are the way they are today and look at the success that's been had? On the flip side, I'm a fan of the idea of business strategy, kill your business before your competitors do. What's the next thing that we can do that is not aligned with our current business, like Kodak and digital cameras, for example? But had they figured out how to kill film, they would have been at the front of this, right? Because they had the first engineer to patent a digital camera. It just was never developed because it would threaten the film business. So we can look at that in digital out of home as if we are listening to buyers who are not consuming our media just yet. And they are saying, here are the reasons why we're not buying. You need to be more flexible. You need to be able to eliminate this contract and start and stop the campaign at any time that we so please without being penalized. That's a really nice part of programmatic, actually. We hear this feedback and, you know, if it takes a lot of internal movement to get there, sometimes it can be very easy to just put it at the back of our list, especially if we're profitable and revenues are looking good for the year. But I just strongly encourage, even if things are super rosy, have a team that's a little bit of an incubator that you allow to experiment. And again, I know Lamar is so great at this, to just be able to play around with some of these ideas and how they could be implemented so that you're never in the space where you're missing out on new revenue because you didn't act fast enough. Yeah. And I I love that expression, try to kill your business first, is a great philosophy because you need to think about that. And I think during COVID, I'll applaud the entire industry as a whole. We pivoted so quick. And I think we came out of it faster than anyone imagined because it was like, oh, billboard companies, they have these very specific long-term contracts and you know, they'll never be able to stop, pause a campaign. And we did it. But I think that one of the benefits that we do have, you know, we talked about you and I sitting on committees and I talked about my friends at Clear Channel and Outfront and Volta and Grocery TV and every other great person. We have an entire industry that are friends and both friendly in the business side, but friends outside. And I think that's an advantage that we need to make sure we continue to do as an industry. And I know Anna Bogger does a phenomenal job of bringing the industry together. So does Barry Fry at the DPAA. I encourage our listeners to continue down that path, continue to call each other up. And it's the way that we can all grow as an industry. And to your point, make ourselves easier to buy, be more flexible, and make sure that we continue to stay relevant in this world. Because honestly, 
at any given moment, data could kill the rest of the online mobile world with a snap of a finger or Apple becoming more strict on the privacy side. So it, it's an interesting play and an opportunity for us. I feel obliged to say that Yahoo is on top of the data play when yes. it comes to being prepared for these actions. Yes. And you're right. I feel the different media formats and channels within the advertising landscape, people who work within are going to have similar relationships. And I think the, the opportunity therein is for our industry. And I feel so lucky because yeah. we really are good people. It's just, so much fun yeah. to to work in this space, but it's establishing those relationships with the CTV space, you know, with the O and O team at Yahoo, for example, yep. and figuring out, hey, what can we do here? It's going to be a little bit different and change the way that consumers are interacting with advertisers. Yeah, and we'll kind of head towards the end here of of the podcast, and we'll we'll yeah. tease that a bit. But before we tease that up about 12 years ago and one of our former guests on the podcast. And if you haven't listened, it's Mikhail Damiani with Blue Bite. I did listen. Yeah. We experimented with that 12 years ago. How do we combine mobile with out of home? And now it works and it works because it's once again, the omni-channel conversation we had earlier and throughout this podcast. So because Stephanie never stops and because you don't have enough on your plate, she's also getting her doctrine right now. No big deal. And her and I worked together, or let's say she worked, I just helped out a tad on this case study that we can't talk much about, but maybe talk about it because it is combining CTV and, and digital out of home and how it plays very closely together. So whatever you can tell us, I know yeah. you maybe give your, give your university a plug, but I know we don't want to get you <laughs> in too much trouble. Well, I can tell you that when it goes back to how to propel your career, I did do a part-time MBA when I was at Broadsign because I didn't go to business school for undergrad. And I was being invited to more executive level and board level meetings. And I wanted just to have a more robust understanding of everything that goes on in the business so I could raise my hand and contribute. So I did the MBA. And right after, I was like, oh, right, next stop, doctorate. And you know what? I instead took the time to focus on my move to New York and, and really live that experience. But right before COVID, actually, I was admitted into a doctoral program where I'm studying the advertising effects of CTV, connected television, and digital out of home. So I was kept very busy during lockdown. It was a, a blessing. And Ian, thank you so much for offering Lamar's support. I truly could not have done the field experiment, my principal study, without you because together we were able to identify and encouraged the advertiser to step out of their comfort zone. They were only investing in social media. And I'm at a place where I'm already analyzing the results of the field experiment. And let's just say they're positive. So it demonstrates the importance of stepping outside of your comfort zone, investing in new media. And again, without Lamar's assistance, it wouldn't have been possible. So thank you. Yeah, of course. And I, I, we can't say who the brand is quite yet, but it's a direct-to-consumer brand and it is one of my favorite brands. So we're excited once once you finish up your homework and we can tell the world about this because I do believe that is the next mobile and out-of-home. It's the CTV and digital out-of-home. And just to kind of wrap up here, I'm so proud of you because it's 
all the people that you mentioned behind you over the years, the mentors that you've had and raising your hand. I think hopefully the takeaway for our guest here is it doesn't matter your age, respect the experience, get the experience, work hard, surround yourself with great people, raise your hand often and do fun things. Like you never are going to know if, if you can be successful at what you do as a career, unless you take a gamble. And I know our team at Lamar, we, we take gambles. We we're taking a gamble with this podcast and you know, mm. if, if it fails, we'll learn from it. If we fail for, for other things, we'll learn, but great things are going to come out of it. Great relationships are going to come out of it. And, and I'll say I I've appreciated our business relationship, but I've enjoyed our friendship even more. And I think that that's with the digital out of home world has for everyone if you'll just open the door oh ian i am blushing just thank you so much for the kind words and it's extremely mutual and i very much agree the digital home industry has its arms wide open to anybody who is interested in getting involved and ian and i i'll speak for you when i say that if anybody listening has questions about how to raise their hand please just reach out to us and be very happy to help out yeah, this has been a ton of fun, like I'd, I'd alluded to at the beginning. So thank you so much, Stephanie. And we'll have you back on once that a case study and maybe we'll we'll give away some of the product that, that we're oh. researching. Yes. What a great idea. All right. Thanks, my friend. Have a great one. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.